language of the Bible, there's an indication in the first verse of the Bible that there's a mystery about God that we, we don't know what it is yet, but we know it is a mystery about God. And so when we get to verse 2, the first identified person of the Godhead, look what it says. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we have at least one of the three persons of the Godhead identified in verse 2. And the first identifiable person of the Godhead is not the Father, and not the Son, but the Spirit of God. And already in Genesis 1, God's saying, listen, the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God is vital, essential, foundational. And we've got to understand the the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's a long way to explain. And then you you read a little further down, and it says this um, in verse number 26. And God said, again the three, plural, let us make man in our image and you start to think there's relationship in the Godhead isn't that right so there's a you'll notice very carefully I'm avoiding the use of the word trinity I'll explain that in a minute but I'm using the word Godhead because you'll find Godhead in the Bible if you speak with a Jehovah's Witness that's the first thing they'll say to you you believe in the Trinity, don't you? And they'll say, you say yes, and they'll say, well, you don't find Trinity in the Bible. And they're right. They don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you certainly find the idea of Trinity in the Bible. We'll show that in a minute. But you do find the word Godhead, don't you? In Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the idea is this, that in God there's plurality and there's relationship. And God says, let us make man in our own image. We are made with different components. We're body, soul and spirit, aren't we? We're not just body. That's what the atheist says. Your body, once you're gone, you're gone. We know that we're spiritual beings as well as physical beings, don't we? And we are built in God's image. And one of the ways we're built in God's image is for relationship relationship so let's turn over to Acts chapter 1 why why I'm saying that is because I want to talk a little bit about the deity of the Holy Spirit go over to Acts chapter 1 and we'll see a few things here verse number 5 for John truly baptised with water but ye shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost not many days hence when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel everybody loves a, a, a diary of events don't they you remember the disciples met the Lord and they said, Lord, when will you restore the kingdom? When will, the, the, this, when will, the, when will you come in? And the Lord says, it's not you. It's none of your business to know the, the diary. And he says, but look what he says. You shall be baptised with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In other words, there's an imminent event coming. 
But when, so they said, well, when will thou restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And the event, not many days hence, was the coming of the Holy Spirit, which began an era of God's testimony that continues right until this very day. Now, turn a few pages back to John 15, because if we get a chance, we're going to go to John 15 and just talk a wee bit about this. But let's just back up a little bit. As Christians, here's, here's a word that you can use to impress people at parties, okay? Or at conferences, whatever you like. As Christians, we are monotheistic, right, okay? That's, that's the big kind of word. And what that means is we believe that there is one God, one God alone, and God is one. God is one, right, okay? And the idea, mono, that's a monocycle, right? Uh, you know what a monocle is? Maybe you don't. I wear, I wear a monocle sometimes when I'm trying to, to pull people's leg. It's a, it's a one-eyed, I'm going to say a one-eyed pair of glasses, but you know what I mean. It's a one glass rather than two glasses. And monocycle, monochrome, black and white, uh, monocle one. Monotheistic means that we are, we believe in one God and one God alone. We, however, are not the only people that believe in one God. Isn't that right? The Jews believe in one God. The Muslims believe in one God. Isn't that right? But we believe in one God and God is one. But as Christians, folks, one means single, we are what they call Trinitarian. In other words, we believe that God is one, but God is three persons in one Godhead. So, so Trinitarian, that word Trinitarian means three. A tripod, three legs. A tricycle, three wheels. Trinitarian, tri, means that three in one. And that's why I use the word Godhead. Because the Bible uses the word Godhead. But that just means Trinitarian. How do you explain one God with three persons? That is totally a mystery to us, isn't it? And why I'm saying this is that we have to understand that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is fully and truly God. He's not part God or part of God. He is fully and truly God. Which means this, the Holy Spirit, Spirit works in consistency with the character that God has revealed in the scripture. You know, you have somebody that tells you a story about somebody and you'll say, I don't believe that because he, he would never say that or he would never do that or he would never go there. And you hear this story about somebody and you, can, you know it's not true because the character of the person that you know means that that's not consistent. And you would say, I don't. And so... The, the reason I'm doing this is because the Holy Spirit is fully and truly 
God, not part God or part of God. He's part of. And this, people use things like water to try and illustrate it. Three in one, right? And that's because that's not really a good illustration because it's only one thing at one time. And there are some Christians that believe that God is Father at one time, God is Spirit at another time, and God is Son at another time. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's called modalism. And that is a very common belief amongst modern day event type of Christians. You have to be really, really careful about that. Then other people use egg as a kind of picture of the Holy Spirit of God. An egg. The shell is egg. The white is egg. The yolk is egg. But they're all different, aren't they, really? I found this just today. And Amu was asking me in the car about the Spirit of God in creation. At creation, was it the Father that created or the Son that created or the spirit that created, the answer to, was it the Father, the Son, or the Spirit? The answer is, yes. All three were involved. All three were involved. Because we read in Genesis 1, the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. We read in other places that God created the heavens and the earth. And we read in John chapter 1, the word, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So I found this just today, and it shows the relationship, relationships in the Godhead. So, so, so if God's in the middle, the Father, if you, if you go, you follow it down, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But if you take the inner triangle, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. And the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They're distinct. But they also, the Bible also teaches that where the Father is not the Son, the Son is in the Father. And the Father is in the Son. And the Spirit is in the Son. And the Son is in the Spirit. And the relationship is indis- indissoluble. And dis- you can't break it. And then, uh, the, so God, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, but they're not the same, but they're all fully and truly God. But the one I really liked, and why I put it in was this, do you see the circle round about? The Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Father glorifies the Spirit, the Spirit glorifies... Every person in the Godhead works to glorify the rest of the Godhead. If you see, you see what I mean. It's not a self-centered type of thing. It's and that's what God has given us in His image, and the Spirit of God is in us to do what? Not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. And we'll see that in, in John 15. So why I've put that up there is this: is because the Holy Spirit is fully, truly. Eternally good. And when we talk and act and represent the Holy Spirit, we're talking and acting and representing the living God of heaven. So I think I said this the last time, and we're not making very good progress, but here's, here's some of the big things that I wanted to say about the Holy Spirit of God. And he is intimately involved in creation and that was why we read that at the right at the beginning to show you that the spirit of God was there look the Holy Spirit is eternal and equal in every way as God 
He is a person, not a thing or an influence. Right? So, the lights came on tonight. Uh, who switched the lights on? Did you switch the lights on? Right? Ranu switched the lights on. He's the person. Right? The power is electricity. Right? And some people think about the Holy Spirit as the electricity that, that does the lights. He is not the electricity, the power. He's the person that gives the power to illuminate the lights. If you, if you, see, you see what I mean? He's not just a power that you plug into. You know, you, you hear that type of language. You watch Christian television, and they talk about plugging into the Spirit or, or drinking or, or drinking at the time. As if the Holy Spirit is some sort of influence that you can turn on and off or plug into or, or, or tap into. That is irreverent at the very least and probably blasphemous if you really think about it to treat the Holy Spirit like that. So, let me talk to you a little bit about this timeline. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Never created without beginning and without end. That's why He's intimately involved at the creation of the world. So if you look at that, take that line as the timeline of history. There have been several distinct interventions of the Holy Spirit into human history. Right? Let me show you what I mean. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people like Saul. Right? Somebody was to do a special task for God. And the Holy Spirit came upon them for that particular task and he came, them, came upon them in a temporary way. And so you'll read in the, Holy, in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit departing from people. You'll read about that. And you'll read about David in, in Psalm 51 who says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And people take those verses of the Old Testament and they project it into the church age and say that we can lose the Holy Spirit. Well, well, the bottom line is we learned right away back at the beginning in lesson one that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit upon the day of redemption. That God guarantees, he stamps his ownership on us and a seal means a permanent thing. We don't live in a day where God's Holy Spirit is taken from us, comes on us temporarily. We are indwelt, we are sealed, we are held, we are permanently. Now, filling in the Holy Spirit is another truth that we're going to come to later on. But, but we are his. But in the Old Testament, God worked like that. If we put that line there as the coming of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. You remember that story? And he went out into the wilderness. And it says this, he was driven by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus had a, an eternal, unbreakable relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Right from, I nearly said from his birth. But you know what I mean by that. You know what I mean by that. You know, it wasn't that the Lord Jesus had to be converted or, or, or he had to be baptised. When the Holy Spirit came down at, at his baptism, it was not to say this is the start of the relationship of the Son with the Holy Spirit. This was to say, look, this is the proof of the relationship of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That, that's what it's saying. 
And then the Lord Jesus said, when I go back to heaven, not many days hence, you're going to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. And so on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, God started something completely new. And he began a work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people that had never before happened. We still live in that day and generation. Now, on that day, and we'll talk about this in a little, a little bit, um, that's Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk at length for one session about what the baptism of the Spirit is and what the filling of the Spirit is. There's never been more confusion in Christian circles about baptism of the Spirit and filling of the Spirit than there is now. And you have to be really careful when you read your Bible to make sure you're getting what the Bible says. Right? Okay? But let's just hold on to this. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down and now is a permanent resident in the world. The Holy Spirit is here. You know, we're going through 1 Corinthians, right? The, the, Paul will say to 1 Corinthians, he'll say, the church is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He'll say that, won't he? So, so when we come together, you know, I, I sometimes think, me personally, I have such a low view of what it is for Christians to gather together. We think we're just having meetings. Don't we? We just think we're meeting in one place, we'll sing a few hymns, we'll read a few Bible, we'll have a cup of coffee, and it'll be just like going to Costa. Right? But the Bible doesn't see gatherings of Christians like that at all. He sees it when Christians physically come together. And that you know me now. You know that during the pandemic, I was thankful for the, the technology that allowed us to, to communicate. But I hope you know me by now that that is not a gathering of the Lord's people. That is not a substitute. That's not the 21st century's version of local church. That's anathema to me. Because when Christians physically come together, we become the temple, the dwelling place, the worship place that is occupied by the Holy Spirit of God. So, here we are tonight. Who's in charge? The doozy because he opened the meeting. Absolutely not. He only was exercised before the Lord to give out that hymn. Who, who told whoever to pray? Who told Brian to pray when he prayed a hymn to Nobody. Because we're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking to him to lead us and guide us and preside over the gathering and, and, and empower us and indwell us and lead us. And all those sorts of things are the characteristic of local church gatherings. You know, I'm going to have to stop. People think you pick a church like you pick a supermarket. Don't they? You know, we fell out with Tesco's for online shopping. Right, because they, 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 the milk was leaking or something like that. So what do you do? You go to Sainsbury's the next time, don't you? And then you go to Sainsbury's or Tesco's and you discover their prices are too dear. So, so what do you do? You go to Aldi and Little to, to find a good deal, don't you? And you, you shop around till you find... People think that local churches, it's about shopping around to see what suits you. The local church is the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. And when we come together, we're not saying, 
We've chosen Bensham Gospel Hall because Tesco suits us better than Sainsbury's. We come together because we're the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. And he is in reality and palpably present amongst us. Now, we can be in a condition either right or wrong to discern that, can't we? There's times when we're just like big lumps of frozen meat. You ever come to a meeting and your heart's just like a big lump of frozen meat? And you're neither moved nor helped. Now, is that because the Holy Spirit wasn't present? I don't believe it. It's because our heart's in the wrong condition to receive it. I really believe that with all my heart. If only we could understand. I was talking last night at Maxwell Hall about how Paul valued leaving behind companies of local Christians. If only we understood how God values Ten people on a Thursday night gathered to pray and remember the, uh, uh, and, work, and, and read the word. How he values, how God delights to see 12 people or 14 people on a Sunday morning with a bread and a cup on a table and the world looks at him and they say, they say lot of nonsense. Out of touch. Relic of the old age and God looks and the Holy Spirit says, my temple, my dwelling place. Isn't that a wonderful thing? If, you, if we could see with God's eyes what the Holy Spirit does amongst the Lord's people, that would elevate. Do you know what we'd do? We'd probably be queuing at the door to come in. Isn't that right? We probably would be waking up in the morning thinking, can hardly wait, can hardly wait. Now, I know that that's not my heart, and I'm not saying anything about you. But this age is also not just the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit in a company of Christians. Do you know what the Bible says? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Individually. We carry with us the indwelling Spirit wherever we go. Now that's a solemn thing, isn't it? That's a really solemn thing. It means he hears everything, sees everything, knows everything, and discerns the... God, the Spirit, discerns the deepest motives of our heart. He really does. Now, we only see our actions and hear our voice, and then we make a guess at the motives. Isn't that right? And we always get it wrong, or we mostly get it wrong, don't we, when we judge another person's motives. But he doesn't, he never gets it wrong. So that's the age that we're living in. The Holy Spirit age. And then when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and the Lord's return, after that, the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth. Now, I don't have time to go through. I've got another slide to show you what happens, how the Holy Spirit will. But presently, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to restrain evil. Not to stop it completely, but to put a limit on it. To draw a circle around and say, thus far, no further. Right? And however wild and mad and cruel this world is, we're thankful for the preserving influence of the Holy Spirit in the world. Aren't we? We really are. But when the Lord comes, the Bible says that he that restrains will restrain until he's taken out of the way. And then a floodgate of trials, tribulations will be unleashed upon the world. Days like the world has never 
seen before. The Lord Jesus speaks about them in Matthew and he says, the days will come and let me tell you, there'll be such trouble as has never been witnessed on the earth before. That fills my heart with dread to think that people will be left behind to suffer that kind of stuff and then go to hell. So that's the kind of time frame of the different ways in which the Holy Spirit works through the ages. How he began at the beginning, who he is, how he works. And now we have to think, what does that mean for me? If I'm, if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, what does that mean for me? On a Monday morning when I go to work, or a Tuesday afternoon when I'm speaking to somebody on the telephone, or a Thursday night when I'm frustrated because I've got to get up early tomorrow morning. What does that mean? And there's all sorts of things. There's the fruit of the Spirit, and there's in, you know the indwelling. We need to think about all those sort of things. That's only a fraction of what I'd planned for tonight, but I trust that was a help to you. We need to get these things right, folks. If we don't understand the truth of the Holy Spirit, nothing works after that. You know when you put a battery, a single battery in something, if you put it in the wrong way around, you know, it's still the battery. But if you've got it the wrong way around, nothing works, does it? When we get the truth of the Holy Spirit the wrong way around, nothing works. There might be a lot of froth and bubble and noise and all that sort of stuff, but it's not glorifying to God, is it? It's not glorified. So God help us just to try and grab a hold of a few of these things and make them work out in our own ways. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for time that allows us to read your word and we confess the dullness of our mind sometimes and sometimes we get really tired, Lord, and our intelligence, our human intelligence struggles to grasp even simple things, never mind the deep things of God. And so... When thy word says that thou hast given us the spirit to teach us the deep things of God, we're so grateful for that, Lord. Because we have come to understand things that we could never have understood naturally. And we're coming to enjoy things that before we were saved we would never have imagined we could have enjoyed. Meeting with Christians to pray and sing. We could never have imagined, and the world can't imagine how those things bring any joy to our heart, but they do, Lord. And we're thankful that that's an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. So bless us, Father, as we've been together tonight in prayer and in the reading of thy word. And we do pray that as we spend a little time in fellowship, we'll be glorifying to thee even in our conversation. We give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen. Forgive me, folks. Um, we turned the coffee pot off, so it wasn't gurgling to tell me my time was up. <laughs>